Hi, and welcome to Off the Clock. I'm Catherine Bryant, Special Counsel, and this is our In Your Neighbourhood series. We're looking at how neighbourhoods around New Zealand are changing due to government policies or law changes. I'm joined by Bridget Parham, partner, and Wendy Embling, Senior Associate, both very experienced RMA and environment lawyers. We're going to talk about two recent government policies that are going to drastically change the look and feel of New Zealand's cities and their surroundings. These changes are going to result in much more densely populated cities with taller builds and smaller sections. But here's the key, they might also help solve New Zealand's housing crisis. Thanks for joining me, Bridget and Wendy. Thanks for having us, Catherine. Before we look at these policies in detail, let's talk about how New Zealand cities differ from cities overseas. And why does that mean that these policies might have such a big impact? Well, New Zealand cities tend to spread outwards, not up. Let's take Auckland, for example. It has around 1.4 million people in its urban area, and that area covers around 607 square kilometres. If we compare that to Barcelona, which has a similar-sized population of 1.6 million, but covers 101 square kilometres, so around the same number of people in an area one-sixth the size. Seoul has a similar urban area to Auckland, but a population of 10 million. So New Zealand cities generally are much less densely populated than overseas, and that's because our cities keep spreading out instead of going up. Those are some really impressive numbers. I mean, if we're looking at potentially nearly twice as many people being packed into Auckland, then that's a very different look and feel from a city. Bridget, what is the government doing to encourage New Zealand cities to go up instead of out? Well, back in 2021, the government, with the support of the National Party, introduced new housing rules, which are called the Medium Density Residential Standards. Now, the intent of these new rules is to increase housing supply and improve housing affordability. These new rules apply to large areas like Auckland, Hamilton, Tauranga, Wellington and Christchurch and the surrounding areas like Waipa, Waikato and the Kapiti Coast. Essentially, the new rules allow owners of residential sections to build up to three residential units each up to three storeys or 11 metres high per section without having to obtain resource consent. Well, that's quite a big change, isn't it? Because right now, if I have an empty section, I can only put one house on it without resource consent. But under these new rules, I can put three houses on and I don't need to talk to the council about that at all. Yes, it is a big change, especially as these new rules are mandatory. Councils have to implement the standards for all residential areas unless those areas are subject to specified qualifying matters. So things like historic heritage or natural hazards that will make intensification inappropriate in a particular area. Wow, so it's going to be compulsory for all the cities And there's no opting out. And so suddenly you could have three houses next door and no say in it. That's correct. As as long as you comply with the standards, that level of development is permitted. It's also important to note, of course, that an owner could build more than four residential units 
or three units per site that don't comply with the rules, but they will need to obtain a resource consent for those applications. Well, that's quite a big change, isn't it? I mean, these housing rules could be the biggest change to how New Zealand cities look or feel since we moved away from the quarter acre section. That's right. And certainly the rules requiring three units up to three storeys high has received the most media attention, but there are some limitations in the standards. The buildings, for example, can't cover more than 50% of the section, and every residential unit must have a minimum outdoor living space that is accessible from the unit, even if it's just a balcony. Okay. So not every city section is going to be big enough to fit three residential units on, is it, if it can only cover half of the section? Because there has been quite a lot of infill housing in our cities over the last 20 or 30 years. That's correct, and that's one of the main criticisms of the new housing rules. The opponents describe the rules as simply cookie-cutter. The standards don't take account of the character of each community. So the rules are likely to have a much greater impact in a town like, say, Cambridge or a suburb like Remuera, where the houses are older and typically the sections are much bigger than, say, inner city areas where apartments and townhouses are already quite common. Mm, Because if you're living in a neighbourhood that's mostly just single houses and suddenly you've got three three three-storey houses next door, I mean, that's really going to change the look and feel of your neighbourhood. It's probably not surprising that we've seen hostility from homeowners towards these changes, but how do the councils feel about them? Some of the councils are unhappy at having the government impose these requirements on them with little or no consultation. Some councils were already taking steps to provide for housing intensification in their communities. So on the whole, the councils are concerned about the impact of how neighbourhoods will look and feel. For example, if an old villa is removed from a heritage area to make way for townhouses or apartments. So to try and address these concerns, some of the councils have attempted to carve out areas where the rules will not apply to accommodate heritage and other special character areas. An example of that is Auckland Council, where they've carved out nearly all of Ponsonby, Greylin and Hearn Bay from the rules for that very reason. Oh, that's quite a big area, isn't it, that they've carved out? So have all the councils agreed to implement these rules? All councils who were required to incorporate the new rules have done so, with the exception of Christchurch City Council. So Christchurch decided not to implement the new changes, and in response to that decision, the government has appointed an investigator to work with Christchurch City Council to try and understand the issues with housing intensification in that city and to explore a way forward to try and get the council to comply with the standards. But at the moment, it's very much watch this space. Mm, Because the government does theoretically have the power to force Christchurch, doesn't it? But it's probably trying to or hoping to avoid that kind of confrontation. Yes, the government can step in and appoint a commissioner to notify the changes in its district plan. But the Christchurch City is hoping to work with the government and try and come up with some bespoke 
roles that fit the character of Christchurch City. I imagine both sides are hoping that they can find a compromise there. So clearly there's some controversy around these new housing rules, but when are we likely to see three townhouses popping up next door? Yeah, good question, Catherine. Obviously, with the exception of Christchurch, which we've just discussed, the new rules have been notified by all other councils and the standards will take effect from the date that changes to the district plans were notified. But there are some exceptions to that. So for sites to which a qualifying matter applies or to which a new residential zone applies, the rules will not take effect until decisions have been made in response to submissions on them. All right, so those are the heritage areas that have been carved out mostly? Heritage areas and natural hazard areas, um, there could be qualifying matters relating to the need to provide for significant infrastructure, etc. Right, okay. So apart from those areas, the rules have been notified. So how come we haven't seen townhouses popping up next door? I guess the current recession means that the housing market has slowed down since the rules were introduced in 2021 and notified by the councils in August last year. And that is obviously having an impact on some new developments, even where the rules are in effect. I guess when the market heats up, developers are more likely to start taking advantage of those new housing rules. Ah, So very much a watch this space that when house prices go up, we might find some really big developments taking place. Yes. So as well as encouraging cities to go up, the government's also trying to take steps to stop cities spreading out. Wendy, why is the government trying to stop urban creep? Cities that keep spreading can be a problem for several reasons. It puts a lot of pressure on infrastructure like water, roading or public transport. But one of the biggest problems is the loss of New Zealand's elite soils for farming, horticulture and forestry. If you look at a map of New Zealand, you'll see that most of our highly productive land is located around our cities, including Auckland, Hamilton and Christchurch. Over the last 20 years, about 35,000 hectares of highly productive land has been used for urban development, and over 170,000 hectares has been subdivided for rural residential purposes. So that's over 200,000 hectares of fertile farmland that we've lost to urban sprawl. And it's resulted in a huge loss of availability of our best land for food production. That loss is irreversible. Once you've turned fertile land over to housing, you can't just knock the building down 30 years later and reuse the soil for food production. It's in response to this problem that the government has recently released the National Policy Statement on Highly Productive Land. So just before we talk about how this is going to affect people and affect our cities, can you just clarify what highly productive land is? So highly productive land basically means land that's flat to gently rolling. So it's suitable for growing crops, berries, tree crops like apples or avocados, and pasture. Thick pukekoe or otaki market gardens, rather than a high country sheep farm or forestry block. Okay, so the spaces where we're growing a lot of our food. Now, I think a lot of people listening are going to be thinking that this policy won't affect them, because after all, there's not much fertile farmland in a city. That's true. If you're living in the centre of Auckland or Wellington, you won't see a lot of farmland out your window. 
The problem is that the land that's being lost to urban sprawl is mostly used for growing vegetables, and only about 5.5% of New Zealand's land has suitable soil and weather conditions for growing fruit and vegetables, and only 1% is in the highest productivity category. We've seen warnings for the last 5 to 10 years or more that if Auckland continues to grow out, it could affect New Zealand's ability to be self-sufficient in vegetables and lead to high vegetable prices. And I think that if there's one thing that we learned from the pandemic, it's that um, self-sufficiency in food, at least, is very useful when you think about the supply chain delays that we faced during that pandemic. So the government wants to protect this land that we use for growing vegetables and growing fruit. How does the policy do that? So the first step is that regional councils have until October 2025 to map their highly productive land in their regional policy statements. Highly productive land can't be rezoned, subdivided or developed for urban purposes unless certain stringent criteria are met. So the number of new rural lifestyle subdivisions is likely to decrease. So definitely a reduction in uh, greenfield uh, developments on farmland then? That's right. Highly productive land can be rezoned for urban development in certain circumstances if it's necessary to meet the demand for housing or business land and there are no reasonably practicable and feasible options. But before rezoning, the council must consider whether intensification of their existing urban areas would meet the demand. So no more subdivisions at all? Is up going to be the only option from now on? The policy doesn't go that far. We're unlikely to see an end to new subdivisions, particularly where land has already been identified for future urban development. But in the medium and long term, the effect of this policy alongside others, such as the one Bridget discussed, will be for development in our cities to go up rather than out into new greenfields areas. Bridget, Wendy, is this going to make housing more expensive? Aren't single-storey houses in a new subdivision cheaper to build than apartments or townhouses? Well, yes and no. Uh, Single-storey houses are definitely cheaper to build, but the price of land is the single biggest cost of building in New Zealand. So more intensive housing reduces the land cost per dwelling, and urban sprawl creates a huge infrastructure burden on councils, which ratepayers ultimately have to pay for. So making our cities more compact could result in more cost-efficient infrastructure and lower rates than if we continue to allow our cities to grow out instead of up. These policy changes will also support New Zealand's climate change goals. If more people can get around by walking, biking or using public transport, it will help reduce our greenhouse gas emissions and improve air quality in our cities. And that's certainly something that you see overseas in big cities, is that there's a lot more reliance on public transport and uh, walking or biking than on cars, which is a very big part of uh, how New Zealanders get around at the moment. Bridget, Wendy, thank you for joining me. There are obviously some really big changes coming to our neighbourhoods, and these are going to have a drastic impact on uh, what New Zealand looks like in the coming years. If you want to find out more about how your neighbourhood could be changing, Check out the rest of our In Your Neighbourhood series. Thanks for joining us and we're off the clock. <laughs>